Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray, and I'm here with my incomparable co-host, Ellen McGirt. I love these moments, Alan. Thank you so much for that. And hello, everyone. But we do have a pretty serious conversation ahead of us today. Yeah, I, I think, Ellen, you and I both felt it was important to talk about what's going on in Ukraine, not just because it's significant for the world, yeah. and it certainly is, but it has become a significant issue for business. Yes. I was surprised and really kind of amazed by how quickly big companies acted to cut off their businesses in Russia. You take a company like McDonald's, which has more than 800 stores there, nearly $10 billion in revenue, and they shut them down. They ended it. That's really, Ellen, a form of what we talk about on the show. That's stakeholder capitalism in action. It's businesses taking responsibility for a significant problem in the world. No, I agree with you. There's just been astonishing. Let me just tell you what has surprised me. I think I mentioned that earlier that I attended an online briefing with uh, Ukrainian Deputy Minister Alex Bornyakov, and he was responsible for the digital transformation of Ukraine. And it was an amazing thing. You know, the technology, he's zooming in from a bunker, you know, while the rest of us are listening and asking him questions. But one of the things that he talked about was how intentional they'd been at creating an engineering culture in Ukraine, specifically to transform government services to make the country a beacon, but also how hard they've been working to create an investment haven, particularly around crypto. And as I was listening to him talk, besides all the horrors of the war, it really hit me. All the hard work they've been doing to build a democratic, business-friendly environment, innovation-forward environment, now hangs in the balance. So I'm hoping that the business community will step up yet again and uh, begin to help them rebuild there too. So today we're focusing on a threat that received a lot of attention in the days leading up to Russia's attack on Ukraine, and it's top of mind for CEOs even when there's not a war going on, and that's cybersecurity. Yeah, and today's guest has spent decades studying this. He's Udi Makadi. He's co-founder and now CEO of cybersecurity company CyberArk. Udi, thanks for being with us on Leadership Next. Oh, great uh, to join you and great to meet you, Ellen and Alan here. Oh, it's really wonderful that you're here. We have so much to talk about with you, but before we dig in, could you just give us a really broad overview about what CyberArk does and how and where you operate? Absolutely. So CyberArk is, uh, we founded or pioneered a space called Privilege Access Management, which is all about securing the keys to the kingdom in organizations, uh, how humans and machines have access to systems. And uh, we've expanded that to basically identity security, securing how all types of uh, of humans and machines access the variety of, uh, of resources in an organization. And it's what organizations need to enable digital transformation, but it's also what attackers go after, because once you, you, you have access, you can be behave like that machine or that human, especially if you're able to get in as a privileged user. So you have full access to the bank or the, to the airline or to the manufacturer. Mm. Uh, but more and more uh, attackers are going after the, the regular workforce employee or supply chain uh, uh, access. And, and those are the things that we uh, defend against. We've built a, a large company uh, where we went public more than seven years ago. And uh, I have more than uh, 7,000 customers and more than half of the Fortune uh, 500, but wake up every morning with this mission to provide uh, what we call impactful security to our customers. 
it's like the main entrance. It's the critical touch point in protecting against cyber attacks. Yeah, I would say that if if we take physical uh, analogies, it's uh, uh, people always focused on just the main door, uh, but weren't aware that there are so many back doors uh, where people are fixing things, and those are what's called administrative access. But yeah, it's it's uh, right now identity has become the new perimeter. Everybody's working from home. Everybody's mm-hmm. spread out, and the way for for attackers is to get into uh, uh, and to pretend to be a, a regular uh, human or a machine. So Udi, ahead of the Russian attack on Ukraine. We were all warned, companies were all warned to brace for serious cyber warfare. We know Russia has the skills. President Putin has all but said that we have declared war on him. So he has the motivation. And yet we haven't really seen much yet. How do you interpret that? What is going on? What, what have you learned from your internal data? I would say uh, even ahead of this, the cyber environment was probably the highest that we can remember, even before this uh, this conflict or, or this uh, move. But we, uh, you're, you're right. The world was expecting that uh, the cyber attacks coming out of Russia would probably uh, have a, a, a bigger event. There were events. I mean, they launched their attack with uh, wiper attacks. There's a, with, with malware called Hermetic Wiper, which was uh, attacking uh, Ukrainian uh, government organizations and uh, and enterprise and wiping out uh, systems. Uh, but it didn't have the effect that uh, a previous attack they did in 2017 called uh, NotPetya had, right? That we're all familiar that spread out and hit almost uh, 65 countries, thousands of organizations uh, around the world. And mm. and so we, we didn't see that yet. I think cyber conflicts can remain much after the physical conflicts. And, and I think uh, organizations should remain in, in high alert. But why haven't we seen it yet? I mean, he's threatened to use nuclear weapons. Why haven't we seen the cyber weapon unveiled yet? Yeah, there are many uh, explanations of, uh, and and some try to downplay the type of arsenal that Russia has. I would actually think that they're very capable. They're they're behind uh, some of the most sophisticated attacks ever written in cyber uh, history. So I think they do have nation state level capabilities. Perhaps they're saving it for a later time. Like you, you don't necessarily pull out all of your arsenal at once. And of course, my concern is that some of it will be taken against uh, countries that are participating in the sanctions. And, and I guess that's what we and, and, and I know many of the customers I talk to are, are worried about. So when you say high alert, what does high alert really mean? And what should we be looking for? And what does this say about the future of cyber warfare? What are we learning about that? Yeah, Ellen, I think it would be probably a mistake for leaders to to look at it as a as a point in time and just oh we raised the level but nothing happened or it wasn't as serious and we went down. I think uh, uh, leaders should view this as a turning point because on top of uh, of everything else we've seen in the past couple of years, ransomware and criminal organizations and nation states attacks. Now we have a, a a real life conflict with one of the major nation states. And I think what organizations should be thinking about is in any case they are digitally transforming. They're embracing the the good things that are coming with uh, digital transformation, but they're creating a lot of cyber debt. They have legacy systems, they're rushing to the cloud, they're allowing employees to work from home. Couple that with more and more bad actors that can attack it. And I think it's just, a, it shouldn't be a, a blip. It should be a continuous improvement that organizations should take on, on best practices in, uh, in cybersecurity. Always get better at it because it's it's here to stay. Udi, in the, in the nuclear weapons space, the US and Russia, have roughly equal numbers of warheads. That was a principle of arms reduction over the course of the last decade. So we're kind of at parity. Where are we in terms of cyber warfare? Does one side have the advantage? Is it parity? How do you evaluate it? 
I think for sure the U.S. has advantage because the arsenal hasn't been out, uh, at least for the last couple of years. So if we look at any new weapon introduced uh, out there, and, and Russia has been using attacks and they've been uh, uh, discovered over the past couple of years. And so the world had a chance to uh, uh, investigate. So we know more about their weapons than they know about ours. Because they've used it. And by the way, it probably applies also on physical warfare that happened now. And I'm sure NATO and, and the U.S. is studying uh, what's going on with with missiles used and tanks used. So the fact that they're using it already gives the U.S. Uh, an advantage. I think uh, the U.S. is uh, has a great advantage in terms of the amount of resources that are, are spent at it and the creativity that one needs. Freedom creates creativity. And I think that's why I, I would probably vote that uh, the, the, the free countries uh, would have more creative uh, white hacking going on or positive hacking going on. Speaking of creativity, every cybersecurity expert I've talked to in the last few years, granted it's not not that many, but all have spoken about not having enough talent, the talent pipeline in cybersecurity jobs, which is a really rich array of expertises and job functions and strengths and capabilities, is always an issue. How do you see the cybersecurity-ready uh, workforce shaping up, and what should we be doing about that? Uh, I think one of the elements is to uh, further market it uh, with a, with the cool factor that it has. I think uh, studying cybersecurity and it's a, a high school age or or making it a program in variety of colleges, there actually is a cool factor and also something positive where you can make a positive uh, impact on, on humanity. In Israel, we've seen uh, that it has become a, a program where people can matriculate at it in, in high school, where you actually, just like you can study physics or be honors in, uh, in, in math or others, you can actually take cybersecurity. And uh, people know that it's going to be helpful for their careers. It could affect uh, where they serve in the military. So I think bringing it to the younger parts of, of students today would be a big part of, uh, of, of the solution. And how about for you? How did you end up in the cybersecurity industry? What was your uh, route to this career? Oh, wow. Yeah. So when we when we founded CyberArk, the space was not even called cybersecurity. I mean, we, we started the company back in 99. I served in an intelligence uh, unit in Israel that had the beginnings of, of defensive uh, and offensive uh, use of, uh, of computers, but it was very, it was very early. Uh, the space was called information security. It wasn't even called uh, cyber. And uh, my co-founder and I were, were attracted to it. Uh, back to that physical analogy you talked about earlier, we, we looked at this uh, mis uh, perspective on so much is, is invested in creating boundaries, but once you're inside an organization, you can move freely. And when we looked in the physical world, in the physical world, you wouldn't think about just locking down the front door. Right. And that led us to really innovate and to think about a physical digital concept. And we, we invented something called the digital vault. How do we, how do we protect something beyond the, the, the borders of an organization? And of course, we were ahead of our time. We were thinking about insider threat. What happens if a human right. is actually part of the network? Do we trust them? We saw the soldiers around us and they had full access to things. And some of them, just because of curiosity, were looking at things that they shouldn't have, but they were trusted because they were already on the inside. And we took that uh, analogy and started a startup. And, and you know, at the time, you had only a handful of, of, of security companies. And it was a, a great journey to discover what our customers worried about. A phrase I've I've learned is threat innovation. You know that the fact that these bad actors are innovators. It's a funny way of thinking about it. So who is most likely to be a bad actor now to launch a cyber attack against a company versus what they were even five ten years ago? 
Yeah, you're so right. It, it changed so much. Uh, I, I think when we were beginning it, you had these curious type of hackers. They they were doing it just to, to prove that they can. So it was kind of an, an individual uh, endeavor. Countries began to develop it, but not not every country. Now it's become it, it, it grew to a point where every uh, every country understands that they have to have cyber capabilities both both for defense and offensive. But outside of nation states, today you have really organized criminal organizations, and just like you said, Ellen, they'll be sitting in rooms like. Uh, like we're sitting in, they'll have air conditioning or, or heating and they'll have a lab and they and they would really be developing the elements of the attack and they won't have to do it all on their own. They're, they're, there's a whole uh, ecosystem for, for the cyber uh, yeah. uh, attackers. If, if you're a ransomware developer, you don't have to actually uh, develop the ransomware. You can rent it from, from ransomware developers, just, just share a piece of the yeah. proceeds. So the more the world became digital, the more the ecosystem has thrived for, for criminal actors and of course for, for nations state. It's much more organized and, and they're investing in innovation. I'm here with Joe Yukazoglu, who is the CEO of Deloitte US and had the good sense to sponsor this podcast. Thanks for being with us and thanks for your support. Thanks, Alan. Pleasure to be here. So, Joe, this new wave of business technology, artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, the ability to make intelligence out of data is creating huge opportunities for companies. But a lot of the CEOs I talk to feel daunted by it. It's like, where do they get the imagination? to rethink their entire corporation. How do they deal with that? The opportunities are immense, particularly when you look at not just any one of these technologies individually, but the convergence of all of them collectively, creating the opportunity to truly transform business models. And I know it can seem daunting, but the reality is taking a first step in actually produces huge benefit because what we're finding is that many of the cutting edge applications are not coming out of the corporate headquarters. They're coming out of putting the technology in the hands of our people on the front lines, they find new and innovative uses. We then funnel them back up and leverage them across the entire client base. Yeah, it really gets to the importance of a culture of innovation at the company. It is essential that our people feel empowered to take the latest and greatest and to find new and innovative ways to use it for productive purposes. Thank you, Joe. Alan, it's a real pleasure. So CyberArk has built its business to protect organizations from incursion by bad actors. But now we have this moment in our history where we're looking really at at least the possibility, maybe it's not the likelihood, but a possibility out there of real cyber warfare. To the average person, what does that mean? Like my wife has been telling me, uh, take a couple thousand dollars out of the bank because you don't know if you're going to have access to your yeah. money and make sure that the generator is filled with fuel because we don't know if there's going to be some sort of shutdown in the delivery systems. What should the average person look out for in a world where cyber warfare is on the horizon? Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. I'll try to give a very balanced answer because again, like I said, I'm I'm, I'm wired optimistically, but I'm but not. We are I'm not. I'm very... picturing planes falling out of the sky. <laughs> El, Ellen is the <laughs> Ellen is the cloud. <laughs> Ellen is the cloud, not the silver line. Okay. No. So, <laughs> so I I would actually say that we are, and, and I think I think you can see that not just in Ukraine, but actually the Russian citizen today, and we're hearing about that they're running yeah. into the ATMs and and they're limited, and and suddenly they have their own panic on the street. But definitely, you you can 
see the impact on Ukraine. So theoretically, given how digitized we are, given how we're, we're, there's nothing we, we, you know, everything we do is, is with a click of a button these days. If that's disrupted, it could disrupt our way of life. And those examples of an ATM uh, access and uh, electricity down and things of that sort, those could be part of, of cyber uh, warfare. I would balance that, that uh, the, the US and, and, uh, and, and major countries have been investing in protecting critical infrastructure. So to, to at a point where the hope is that it can come back up uh, fast and, and things can be a temporary down, but there's a way to back up. And, and a lot of uh, the way cybersecurity is approached today is think like the attacker, what are they gonna go and what are they gonna do and, and even simulate what the adversary would do, but also uh, simulate the recovery. And that has become a big part of companies' uh, uh, drills. So I, I think the menu can include anything from, from light disruption to major uh, disruption to our way of life. And that's why we, we really have to, to be out there uh, vigilant and, and to, to defend it. Yeah. Hey, Udi, one of the things we talk a lot about on, on this podcast is that tech companies have not been uh, terribly diverse. They're not a lot of women. They're not a lot of people of of color. How do you building a tech company? How do you deal with that? Yeah, I always think it's work in progress. But I was I was always very proud when you even when you walk through our R and D center that you saw a lot of women uh, disproportional to uh, to what I've seen in other companies. And part of it is because in Israel you have the, the, a lot of the R and D is in Israel for us. And there's mandatory military service in Israel. And so you, we're actually, you have a lot of women who are actually uh, going into uh, technical uh, roles and computer science roles in the military and, and they're out there and they're, they're coming out for jobs. So I think we had a good opening, um, uh, I, I would say, position from, from that uh, perspective. But we're all changing how we think about it, I would say, uh, uh, on a daily basis. For me, it was always very important. Uh, I mentioned Israel a lot, but it was always very important to build a a global company, like a truly global company, no matter how you walked in, you you can feel uh, a part of it and that people really have a sense of belonging and uh, and diversity. I think uh, uh, we, we, we've we put in a lot of steps leveraging uh, our, our Boston uh, uh, presence and, and others to, to hire more and more staff from community colleges. And, and there's so much that can be done on teaching on the job that once you, you put proactive steps into it, we're, we're, we're seeing that diversity increase also on, on, the, on the minority side in the company. So I think it's uh it's it's always a it's going to be a work in progress, but the the attitude is there, and uh, and the culture in the company supports it. Uh, Ellen, you're going to make Udi do the lightning round. We got a lightning round for you. This is where you put your CEO right. hat on. We've been asking all of our guests this season for just quick responses. What's top of mind for you in three key areas? The first is what's top of mind for you when you think about COVID. Oh, for me, top of mind is is beginning to get back to normal with with uh, encouragement, not with uh, kind of with a new mindset that encourages employees to get back, uh, but but finds a nice dynamic of of what we've learned from this uh, this environment. So, what what top of mind for me is getting back to normal, living with it. And um, and I actually can see it. I'm talking to you, you know, uh, uh, after after visiting both of our offices and and uh, and seeing the team uh, back. That's what top of mind for me is getting behind it, but leveraging what we've learned from yeah. it to allow more more dynamic work. That makes perfect sense. Top of mind for you when you look at, in your case, the global economy. Ah, so so obviously we talked about uh, cybersecurity and the and the huge opportunity that we have. I mean, we uh, like I said, we have uh, seven thousand uh, customers, and they're they're really spread around the world. And we're going after the the next thirty, forty, fifty thousand enterprises uh, out there. And and uh, 
Uh, and to be positioned, uh, I, I would say, to, to leverage our global presence for, for continued growth. I think diversity also in how we've been spread has been very strong. It was very, I remember early days here in Boston, I told uh, uh, fellow CEOs how much business we're doing in Europe and Asia, and they were they were shocked. And I said, no, we, we wanted to build a global company from the get-go. So to be able to fire on all cylinders and, and, and be able to resist, uh, I would say, global hiccups. And finally, What's top of mind for you as you think about what's next for you as a leader personally? Well, I always wanted to, uh, as a founder in in, uh, in Cyber, get the culture uh, so strong that we can scale the organization, get to the point, and we're in that point right now where I don't know every single employee, uh, but that I can visit uh, our office in Singapore or our office in Paris or or, or anywhere and feel that uh, the, the alchemy that got us here actually trickled to every one of the, the last employees. So, so for me, that's important. Scale the organization, continue to grow, but protect that culture. Wow. Well, that's a a whole nother podcast. We'll come back to creating cultures that scale and last. Uh, Udi, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. A pleasure for me. And uh, thank you. It was fun. Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my amazing colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 